welcome to Inspiring Adventure from Vertebrate Publishing, the podcast that connects you to the great outdoors through literature. Welcome to episode 10 of the Inspiring Adventure podcast. I'm your host, Ray, and this week I'm joined by the award-winning young adult author, Sarah Muzzy. Sarah grew up in the Cotswolds and spent 15 years in West Africa, so she's no stranger to adventure and exploration. She writes thrillers and fantasy for both children and young adults, and she and her books have received much acclaim. Second place in the BBC Worldwide Children's Talent Fiction Award, the Glenn Dimplex Children's Book of the Year, and shortlisted for both the Branford Boas Award and the Lewisham Book Award. We're eagerly awaiting the publication of Sarah's next book, Here Be Wizards, which will complete the Snowdonia Chronicles. This trilogy follows Ellie Morgan's adventures in the remote and mythical Snowdonian landscape, the search for true love, battles of good and evil, spells and potions, dragons, legends and the Feylands. Morning, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Ray. I'm so pleased to be speaking to you today. Oh, good. So you've written the Snowdonia Chronicles. I have. And we're expecting the release somewhat imminently of Here Be Wizards. So I was wondering if you could just introduce us to the world of the Snowdonia Chronicles. Tell us a bit about about the books. Okay, well, I'd love to. Yes. Well, as you can imagine, the Snowdonia Chronicles are all set in Snowdonia. Mm -hmm. Now, Snowdonia is possibly one of the most magical set of mountains um, in the world, definitely in the UK. It's absolutely packed with myths and monsters and magic and history. And, and once you you get into Snowdonia, you can almost feel it like a blow in the chest, the extraordinary landscape and the extraordinary stories that lurk behind it. The Snowdonia Chronicles themselves, they imagine a set of characters which are drawn upon modern everyday teenage characters, but also link back to some of the heroes and heroines that um, peopled Snowdonia. Um, through such texts as the Mabinogion, and certainly through some of the Susan Cooper novels, with which she wrote, The Dark is Rising. And she also had young characters set in this landscape who have the most extraordinary adventures and who touch that other world, that magical world of Anwin. Now, the story actually starts off with a girl, an everyday, ordinary girl who's relocated from London to live in Snowdonia, halfway up Mount Snowdon. Like a lot of uh, young people who live in the middle of the countryside, and I myself was one because I grew up right in the heart of the Cotswolds in which the nearest neighbour was a good walk away. You're kind of thrown on your own resources. There aren't many friendships that you can um, rely on, just the ones in the locality. Possibly coverage on your phone and therefore on your internet is very limited. It comes and it goes. Even in the Cotswolds now, you can't you know, access your phone or the internet. And so I imagined her trying to find somebody who could understand her, some sort of soulmate in that landscape. It, it all starts with she sends up a prayer to Mount Snowdon, which we know is is a mythical mountain, that to send her someone who can be her soulmate. And from there, the story starts to emerge. Now, I'm not going to do a spoiler <laughs> and tell you how it emerges, but it emerges and she starts to connect with a magical character who has been waiting to be called back and called forth from the mountain to interact 
with a teenager and that relationship develops and it becomes a very passionate relationship, but also a very fraught relationship because it is not without danger that she can relate to this character. And she has to draw on all the resources that she has and the friendship of the only sort of best friend that she has, a boy who lives over the other side of the mountain, her nearest neighbour, to go forth with her and adventure into the heart of Snowdonia, not just its incredible landscape and its very, very scary paths and pathways, but also into its scary heritage and its scary mythology. Um, If she is going to actually be able to create and maintain this friendship that she's developed with the mountain and with this particular character that she's called forth. Now, I don't know if that's enough. Kind of gets a bit difficult to tell you more about the Snowdonia Chronicles because I don't want to spoil all the adventures. (laughs) Yeah, they do involve mythology and witchcraft and and of course the wizard, the, the amazing wizard Merlin, who we know comes from Snowdonia and his Welsh name is Emrys and he is sort of figures as a shadowy character right the way through the trilogy. Oh, it sounds deeply exciting. And if if that little introduction doesn't make you want to go out and read these books, I do not know what will. <laughs> I mean, you've touched on this a little bit already, but what is it then that really drew you to Snowdonia over any of the other places that you could have set these books? What was it particularly about these Welsh mountains that that really attracted you? Do you have a connection to them yourself? Well, I do, yes. Well, as I said, I grew up in the Cotswolds. That, that's a tame sort of hilly landscape compared to Snowdonia. But, but we do have our, our features and our mythologies in the Cotswolds, and it's very beautiful. And if you climb in particular up on Leckhampton Hill, because I grew up at the back of Leckhampton Hill near a village called Birdlip. And if you climb onto the top of Leckhampton Hill, uh, which has quarries and falls and cliffs, uh, you can actually see into Wales and you can mm-hmm. see the Black Mountains. Now, the Black Mountains already sound scary, mm-hmm. um, but I ventured beyond the Black Mountains as a child because my family, we would take our annual holiday of two weeks in Snowdonia and we would hire a caravan. My father was a great naturalist as mm-hmm. well as an author. He would like to go out looking for rare birds. He wasn't a twitcher as such, but he had his binoculars and he would like to look for rare plants and he would be very interested in the history of the area. So uh, as young as five years old, I climbed Cadaridris down in the southern part of Snowdonia and I climbed Snowdonia many times with my family. My mum would pack a picnic and my dad would pack his binoculars and off we would go and it would be one of those... I remember hot, sunny days with marvellous landscapes and mum trying to sort of force another sandwich down us and (laughs) stop us falling off a cliff and dad being far too interested in some new species of trefoil that was growing on the pathway. And, And I would sit there sort of arms stretched on the mountain, looking up into the sky and imagining all sorts of wonderful things. And I have some scenes actually in the Snowdonia Chronicles where my heroine Ellie falls back onto this sort of turf and looks up into the sky and imagines the sort of the world that might happen. So that's very much drawn on, yes, on my childhood memories of of being in Snowdonia. Again, you've already kind of preempted my next question, but about what adventures you've been on or perhaps are planning to go on. And do you have a little story about adventure that you could share with us about your own personal experiences? Well, yes, yes, I have. I've got lots. So I'll choose the most dramatic. Oh, perfect. Even though I grew up on hills where there were cliffs, I have a 
kind of uh, fear of heights. I kind of imagine that twisting and turning and falling and cracking down. So um, I don't like going up mountains terribly much unless the pathway is quite wide. So I'm not a rock climber as such. So I prefer the flat. And I will tell you about an adventure that I had. I, I was drawn to sort of going into desolate landscapes. But because I grew up on the hills, and as I said, I'd climbed many mountains in Snowdonia, I thought I would go somewhere completely different. And so when I was um, a student, I decided that what I was going to do was go right the way across the Sahara Desert on my own. Um, and I didn't have any idea of how I was going to do this. I I thought about doing it on a bicycle, but then I thought I don't really know how to change a puncture. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to get punctures. So I thought the best way to do it is on public transport. Now, when I started off, I actually thought there might be like buses and things that would go across the Sahara. Of course, I was sadly disillusioned when I started off. So I flew to Lagos and that's a whole nother adventure in itself. <laughs> but I got all the way up to Burkina Faso and then on into Niger. And I did all that by public transport and that was sort of okay. But then I got to this place which which you set out across the Sahara from and it's, it's right at the sort of bottom. And you have to, uh, I think it's called Agadez, if I remember correctly. And you have to set out for this place called Tamanrasset, which is right in the middle of the Sahara. And there aren't any buses that go there. <laughs> so you wait there for days and days and days in the sort of lorry park. And then you have to try and beg a lorry driver to take you to Tamanrasset. Well, this could be a very long story because um, it took me quite a long time, about a month to get across the Sahara. It was an extraordinary adventure. But most of all, I remember lying awake in the middle of the desert with nobody around for at least a thousand miles and only this one lorry and a few other intrepid adventurers and eating couscous every night with just garlic in it, um, which we'd make on a little campfire and, and then lying under the stars and falling asleep and then waking up with a jolt to realise that one was in perhaps one of the least explored and most unknown territories of the world. And that kind of links into my imagination, I think, for the rest of my life, because I've always wanted to explore unknown territories. And there aren't many of them left on this planet, but I think the Sahara is one of them. And of course, now you can't really even go there because of the sort of terrorist and bandit activities. And so that's a very special adventure that I went on. And yes, I survived it. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds quite inspirational in itself, that idea of being almost totally isolated. But it sounds like it was a somewhat safe space. It probably wasn't, but I was I was only about 18. So so in those days, you're actually invincible, aren't you? You don't imagine that there is any danger that you can't possibly overcome. And actually, there wasn't. There wasn't anything that, that was untoward. Do you have any literary heroes and heroines that you could tell us about and maybe how they inspired some of your own writing. Well, yes, one of my literary um, heroines is um, Karen Blixen, who actually wrote Out of Africa, mm. because after that experience, I kind of then longed to find that Africa that she wrote about, which is disappearing, really. I loved the idea of going off into this sort of unknown, uncharted landscape and trying to make a go of it and writing stories. And I think that's been a template for me. I think I saw Out of Africa as a film perhaps when I was in my mid-20s and when it came out and when it was a big hit and it made a huge impression. And then I read all the works of Karen Blixen and, and decided that um, life was an adventure and that I needed to do some of the things in my own way that she'd done. So yes, she was a literary 
heroine of mine. But then, of course, I've had some fictional um, characters that I've emulated. And, of course, I have to mention here Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yes. Because he's just indisputably the most adventurous and undaunted and vulnerable and intelligent and brave character in any fantasy story, I think. Mm. So, yes, the idea of going off on a mission and having to survive and overcome trials to in order to achieve something for the greater good is is such a great blueprint and has probably been hugely um, influential in some of the stories that I've written, that blueprint of, of the quest story. Yeah, absolutely. It's perhaps one of the most iconic adventure stories, isn't it? The mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and mm-hmm. that whole trekking out into the unknown with perhaps a sense of naivety as to quite what lies ahead. <laughs> I mean, they're your literary heroes. Have you any other real life heroes or heroines that you, you're happy to tell us a bit more about? I'm trying to think because because there are so many heroic characters mm. and little acts of heroism um, often go unnoticed. And I think, you know, to single out any one in particular would sort of almost elevate them above uh, above the others. So perhaps I, I could just remark upon some of the qualities of being a hero yeah. as opposed to singling out and championing a particular hero. And, and I suppose the qualities of being a hero are about aspiring to that higher self that I think is there in all of us um, that tells us, let it go, that's petty or that's not a big deal. You know, think of the bigger picture, show courage, even when you're very scared. Think about the impact that this set of circumstances might have on others. And that heroism to sort of continue to face adversity, even, I think, even when the odds appear almost impossible. And that's what makes truly heroic characters. And and I think, you know, we see that almost every day in, in lives around us, you know, the person who jumps into the stream to try and help an unknown stranger who is in need. The rescue helicopters that go out, and I've got that at the start, actually, of mm. the Hero Dragons trilogy, you know, and the lifeboat men and women who go out into really pretty horrendous conditions in order to try to save life. And I think those are the kind of heroes that I would like to emulate and to and to champion, really. Even ambulance drivers, you know, you're driving to a, a horrific crash scene and, and you know that, you know, what you're about to see is going to traumatise you and it's going to live with you and you're going to have to deal with it. And yet you still get up every morning and report for duty and log in and get behind your wheel and are prepared to go out and face whatever happens. That's truly amazing. Yeah, it really is. It resonates a little bit with me that, I've had a conversation recently for a, another podcast episode with Sarah Williams, who's the founder of the Tough Girl Challenges. And she mm-hmm. was saying that the, the thing that's different between the people that we class as heroes or adventurers is they just get up and do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that kind of seems to be reflected in what you've said, that these are people who perhaps just cast aside the doubts and acknowledge that they, there are dangers, acknowledge that there are doubts and, and just do it anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's because like a mountain, it's there to be climbed. That, that's a lovely little um, analogy to, to carry with us. Do you have a particular favourite young adults or children's book that, that has stuck with you? I mean, I mean, it might be one from your own childhood or it might be something that you've come across as an adult. There are so many yes. wonderful, wonderful YA uh, novels and children's books. I look back I- into my childhood and like uh, sticking with the kind of fantasy era, the whole kind of Narnia Chronicles mm. were just, oh, I, when I read them, I thought, my 
gosh, you know, I've just discovered this other world that I want to go to. And from then on, of course, I had to inspect every wardrobe ever to make sure that it didn't have a magical back door. Uh, and then recently there's been on television the Philip Pullman novels. And those were just in that same genre. Absolutely fantastic. As well as fantasy, which is one of my true areas of favoritism, if you like, or that I love in, in fiction. I also write kind of political thrillers because I also like writers like George Orwell. And 1984 was one of my favourites. So a lot of my sort of YA older novels are, are kind of quite hard hitting in terms of themes. And, and there's lots of YA novels out there that have amazing impact in terms of some of the things they deal with. So if people have read and enjoyed the Snowdonia Chronicles, I mean, obviously, we've only got the two books out with you at the moment, and Here Be Wizards coming imminently. What other books perhaps should people look towards? Yeah, they don't have to look much further than looking at some of those other Shrine Bell titles. And you've got some fantastic titles on a magnificent growing list. I personally know Ruth Easton, and I know the novels she's written, and I've worked with her on writing and visited her in Italy. She lives in the most amazing place in Italy. And some of her titles are just adventures, again, with that kind of magical world and that real world interface where you have to get up, as you say, get out and go and do it. So books like um, Arrowhead, brilliant. All that history as well with the kind of um, idea of figures from the Bronze Age falling into glaciers and and then the kind of curses that, that exist in fantasy realities. Wonderful. The Messenger Bird, again, that's, that's more of a thoughtful sort of mystery story that pulls you right in and, you know, accesses things that you probably haven't thought about. I mean, this is when I say you, I mean, the reader <laughs> uh, you know, of, of code breaking and the way that during the war, those people um, who resisted fighting because they had pacifist beliefs, you know, suffered at the hands of the majority. Again, they're heroes of a kind, unsung heroes often, who just don't go with the masses, who follow their own drumbeat and um, live their lives according to their own code that they've set for themselves. So so definitely the work of Ruth Easton, Matt Dickinson. Again, if you like climbing mountains, you've got to read the Everest Files. Uh, and if you've also, of course, enjoyed the Snowdonia Chronicles, you should read The Dark is Rising and um, Susan Cooper's novels too. I mean, they're, they're a bit old school now, but still amazing. Do you have maybe a top three adventure books? And we're shifting perhaps slightly out of the, the young adult and children's fiction and anything that's on your to read list, maybe? Um, hmm, let me have a think about this. My, <laughs> my read list is huge. Mine too. Uh, but let me have a little think. I would like to read, I think, The Bond. That yeah. sounds brilliant. And of course, you know, a, a title like One Day as a Tiger is is just intriguing, isn't it? Very inviting. Of, yeah, amazing. So um, I think those would be two two titles that um, I would like to read. And I would also like to champion other writers who kind of have entered into this territory of books that are about adventure. Well, they, they are definitely out there. I think, you know, life has to have um, something other than just, you know, surviving and, and getting a good job and then managing to stay alive through the day. I mean, there, there, there must be something beyond this. And so to all of you who are thinking about going on adventures, either in fiction or in reality, just do it. It broadens the mind and um, the world is somehow a lot safer than you think it is you know you know grasp fortune and misfortune with both hands and go for it fortune favors the bold if you you know there's a there's a an old african proverb that says the same sort of things you know 
you know, he who would hunt the elephant must enter the forest. Oh, I like that one. You have to go forward in life and think outside the, your comfort zones because there's a world of wonderful things out there. And, and they're there all the time. Yes. They're there all the time. Just as uh, Frodo said, you know, the road goes ever on and on, but it just starts with that first step enter onto that road and let's see where it takes you. Yeah, I think maybe we should challenge the listeners to this podcast to, to take that one step. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. We've really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, it's been wonderful to talk, you know, especially about my passions. Yes. Well, I do hope you'll come back and join us again. <laughs> yeah, love to. Thanks very much. Bye. Here Be Wizards is due out on the 6th of February. So do grab the chance to pre-order for a 20% discount by heading to shrinebell.com or v-publishing.co.uk before next week. If you haven't already got the first two books in the Snowdonia Chronicles trilogy, Here Be Dragons and Here Be Witches, I'd recommend you get them while they're on two for one on the Vertebrate Publishing website. Sarah gave us some amazing reading recommendations and if you fancy checking any of them out do pop over to the show notes for links to get them all. If you've got any feedback on the podcast or suggestions for topics to cover or people you'd like to hear from please drop me an email at ray that's r-a-e at v-publishing.co.uk and I'll respond with a discount code to say thanks. Our next episode will delve into the highly popular Daywalk series and I'll be joined by Paul Webster, co-author of Daywalks in the Cairngorms and Deirdre Huston, author of Daywalks on the South Downs, both due out in March. So tune in to find out what goes into producing a Daywalks guide and what makes a guide author tick. Join the conversation by searching for Vertebrate Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or sign up for our newsletter at v-publishing.co.uk.